We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 today. And we will just start right there as we look at the third commandment. Exodus 20, verse 7. The word of the Lord says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, please help us to understand the fullness, the the beauty, the depth, the magnificence, and at the same time the severity of your word. Holy Spirit, help us to put aside our own perspective, our own agenda, and to be able to hear from you, to know your will, and to rejoice in your revealed truth. Your word is truth. And we pray you sanctify us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now most people hear that commandment and they think it simply means don't curse. They might even stretch it so far as to say, well, don't use the Lord's name frivolously or whimsically. And if that's what you think of the third commandment, you're in the majority. But that's not really what the third commandment is all about. In fact, it's far more than you think. What a clever title I came up with, huh? The problem we have is we misunderstand what name and vain mean. Now, it certainly includes not using profanity or speaking frivolously or whimsically about the Lord. But it's a whole lot more than that. You see, the word vain really means untruth or falsehood. So what this is telling us is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in untruth or falsehood. And then it has a scary ending that says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And when you think of it that way, this third commandment impacts our worship, the disposition of our heart, our knowledge of God, everything at all to do about us and how we live and how we relate to God. So let me try to explain the commandment this way. In my house, we have a a double-digit bedroom, and we have a single-digit bedroom. And sometimes, single-digit child goes up to double-digit bedroom and knocks on the door, which is quite often closed when Legos are out. Cannot come in! And the double-digit bedroom occupants will sometimes say, No! So the small child will come downstairs and say, They won't let me in their room! I'll say, well, go and tell him that daddy says to open the door. So then he boldly goes to the double-digit door. Daddy says, open the door. At which point you hear, click. He's gained access to the room. What he's done is he's used my name. Now, imagine, same situation, but he doesn't come and ask me, and then the double-digits say no. He says, daddy says, open the door. Now they're going to open the door. But if daddy doesn't say open the door, guess what he's just done? He's used my name in vain. Do you see the difference? It's not like he came up and says, daddy is a bleep. Now, he shouldn't say that. But what he's doing is he's calling on the authority that comes in a name in falsehood. That's what it means to use the Lord's name in vain. Understand a couple things are in place there. If another child comes into my house and says, Daddy says open the door, well, their daddy's name doesn't have the authority in my house to open a door, does it? 
nor can they call me daddy because I don't have a relationship with them as a father and a child. So the first thing is a relationship is assumed, and the second thing is that truth is necessary. If either of those things are missing, you are using the Lord's name in vain. As Christians, 1 Peter 2.9, we're told, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does that mean? You're entrusted with speaking the Lord's name in truth, not in vain. Tracking with me here? So you might want to ask this question. Say, Pastor, can you give us a more specific example? Because I don't go up to people's doors and say, God says, let me in. You ever try that at your neighbor's house? What does it look like? Flip your Bible to Matthew 7. I'm going to show you a frightening example of what it looks like to use the Lord's name in vain and what it means that he does not hold them guiltless who do it. Now, I imagine at some point in the not-too-distant future, we'll spend a little bit more time in this, in this section of Matthew 7. But look at this. In Matthew 7, verse 21, you see a specific example of the Lord's name being used in vain. Not everyone, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a frightening text, isn't it? These people, they're calling Jesus Lord, Lord. They're they're casting out demons in his name. They're prophesying. They're doing many mighty works. And Jesus says to them, bye-bye, go to hell. I never knew you. Well, how do you know if you're going to get the away from me as opposed to enter into your eternal joy? The problem here is these people broke the third commandment. And God did not hold them guiltless for breaking the third commandment. You say, how did they break the third commandment? First, look at what they were doing. Lord, Lord. When you go to Exodus 3, God revealed himself relationally to Moses by saying that, I am. Moses says, who shall I tell them sent me? What name is the one who is sending me? He says, tell them I am. Right? That's Yahweh. Then you get to the Greek New Testament, and when you translate the Hebrew, not the New Testament, but you go into the Greek, when you translate Hebrew into Greek, Yahweh is translated Kyrios. Same word, just in Greek. And then in your English Bible, you read the word Kyrios in the New Testament from the Greek to the English. It's Lord. So when these people say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, they're not saying, Sir, Sir. They're saying, Divinity Divine, right? They're saying, You are God. They're attributing to him full divinity. Yahweh, Yahweh, Kyrios, Kyrios, Lord, Lord. They have sound doctrine. They're saying Jesus is God, and they say it twice. Why do they say it twice? Well, in English, we use exclamation points. When we type or text, we use boldface and an emoji. I still don't know what emojis are, but that's not really for this, this time. We underline, we italicize, we boldface. In Greek, you double down. Remember Martha, Martha? It's an emphatic statement. So they're saying emphatically, Lord, sound doctrine. Now these are church folks. These are people who are very busy in doing the Christian stuff. They're prophesying, so they're speaking God's word. 
They're casting out demons. They're performing many, many mighty works in his name. That's impressive. These are people you look at, you'd be like, well, that's a mighty man or woman of the Lord. Look, look at what they're doing. They're teaching, they're preaching, they're busy, they're occupied, they have sound doctrine. Jesus says, you broke the third commandment. You're, you're not coming in, right? He says it differently. I never knew you. Depart from me. Why does he see that? Why does he say that? What, what was wrong? How can you have sound doctrine and do mighty works and be breaking the third commandment? Well, the first thing is they didn't have a relationship with God. Right? They knew who he was, and I'll show you this in a minute. They knew who he was, Lord, Lord, but they were calling on his name falsely because they didn't have a relationship with him. They're doing all these things in his name, but they didn't have a relationship with him, so they were using his name in vain. It would be like, Charlie, knock, knock, knock. Daddy says, let me in. But if Charlie wasn't my child, he's just used my name in vain. Do you see that? Not only that, look closely. When Jesus, when they're talking to Jesus, they don't say, Lord, Lord, we do not deserve to be with you, but by your work, through grace, by faith. No. They say, look at all that we did. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Now open up, I'm coming in. I tried my best, I did a lot, now I'm right. No. They cheapened grace. So not only did they use his name in vain, not having a relationship with him, they also used his name in vain by cheapening the work that he did. They didn't see him as a savior, they saw themselves as people who could save themselves. Do you see that? So just checking things off on a list, or even doing a lot of stuff, and this is impressive stuff. I don't know if you noticed that. They prophesied in his name, they cast out demons in his name, and they did many mighty works in his name. But they didn't have a relationship with him, and he, they used his name in vain. They've compartmentalized God, and they've tried to impress God by trying their best. Now, what this should do is not freak us out and make us wonder, oh, wait a minute, am I a Christian? Because I've never cast out demons, I'm not doing a lot of prophesying, and I can't think of any mighty works I did. No. What this is, I should, probably shouldn't have said that. Now there's a million things to unpack there. So just ignore that last statement or come to real conversations. What it should make you realize is, even as a Christian, you have broken the third commandment regularly. And that's a problem. As a non-Christian, you've broken that third commandment regularly and repetitively. And it's a bigger problem, and here's why. What does this mean for the non-Christian? What does it mean for the Christian? When a non-Christian, I'm going back to Exodus 20 here. Here's the words. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless when he takes his name in vain. It should frighten you. You've taken his name in vain. If you've prayed and called God Father, and you're not a child of God through Christ, you've taken his name in vain. If you come into my house, and you talk to someone like, I'm your dad... That's not going to be okay unless I'm your dad. You're taking my name in vain. If you go out into the world, I used to, name dropping, you know, you know what name dropping is? Name dropping gets you places. I used to do it all the time growing up, you know. I'd walk into a place with my friends, let's say, and I, I wanted to eat something or say I didn't have enough money or I wanted to sit at a table. I'd say, oh yeah, my dad is Chuck. Like, oh, your dad's Chuck? Like, yeah, oh, come on in. I can name drop. Because my dad had a reputation. 
Or I have um, cousins who are interior decorators in Los Angeles, and they were telling one Christmas this, this how they were working for two of these movers and shakers in the industry out there, you know, people whose names you're like, wow, you're working in those people's houses. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. So, you know, Laura and I were going to hire them to, to, yeah, right. But when you talk like that, the implications you have an established relationship. Well, let's say that someone from the restaurant sees my dad and like, hey, your son was in. And my dad says, I don't have a son. What are you talking about? Whoa, whoa, whoa. All of a sudden, I've used the name in vain, right? Or if my cousins haven't actually worked for these people. You know, you, you meet these people like, oh, my cousins were working for you. Who? Or what if they did a ratty job? You see, name dropping is a big deal. So as a non-believer, if you name drop God, it's an even bigger deal. There are a lot of laws in the lands about defamation and slander, and there's a third commandment. You can't name drop God unless you're a child of God. We, we distort God. If you're a non-believer, you've taught people or spoken lies about God. You've falsified God. If you've ever said, I try my best so God will be well pleased with me, you've just broken the third commandment. And God will not hold them guiltless who break it. So this commandment is designed to, to cause you to fall before God, to ask for forgiveness in humility. And he says in 1 John, he says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what this commandment is designed to do for a non-believer. But 1 John 1, 10 is something you should read if you don't want to confess. And it explains what happens to those who do not confess. But for the believer... What does this mean for a Christian? Well, just don't do it, right? Is that an awesome conclusion to the sermon? Don't break the third commandment. Would you bow your heads? How are we to not break the third commandment? What happens when we break the third commandment? What about this guilt thing? Watch this. We're only through three commandments, but I hope you're seeing a common theme here. God gives us the commandments as believers so he might be glorified and so you might have the joy of an intimate relationship with him. The commandment for the believer is not something to do to be right with God. It's something to do because you are right with God. Listen, you're already, by grace, through faith in Christ, you're guiltless. Now, you could cheapen grace and say, well, I'm already guiltless, so I don't need to keep the commandment. And I would just refer you over to Matthew 7. And I'd say, read that closely, because if you can cheapen grace to that point, you're probably going to hear from Jesus, I never knew you. But what we do is we hear the word of God, we see the commandment of God, we desire to bring glory to God, and we want to walk in fullness of joy, so we seek to not break the third commandment. So how do you do this? How do you break the third commandment? God is the God of certain segments of creation, right? He has, he has control over certain areas of your life. You'll find in the Psalms, it says, the remote control does not belong to the Lord, but Netflix there does. Is that what it says? No? It says, God has control of your weekends, but you do what you like during the rest of the week. No. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So when you call God Lord, that means he owns it all. Well, what do we do as Christians? We compartmentalize God, don't we? Don't we have those little areas in our lives where we say to God, no, you can't have this. No, you can't touch that. Yeah, I'm going to do my will here, and it's going to be okay. Well, 
If you do that, you're bringing dishonor to God and you're robbing yourself of joy. You can't compartmentalize God. Now you say, that's a scary proposition. If I give everything to God according to his word, well, that's going to mess up my plans. Jesus says, yeah, it's going to mess up your plans. In fact, you're going to die to self. But what's the result of dying to self? Why does Jesus call us to die to self so that we might what? Live. Jesus isn't saying, I want that, 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 and that, and you're going to be miserable. He's just saying, give it all to me, because I know a whole lot better than you, and I want you to have real joy. So you can't compartmentalize God. So if you compartmentalize God in any way, you're robbing yourself of joy, and you're bringing dishonor to God. How specifically do you compartmentalize God? That's part of why Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to us. You need to spend some time in prayer with God, in his word, and you ask. You say, Lord, would you please show me in what ways I'm compartmentalizing? Lord, would you show me where I'm refusing to give you all of my all? Would you show me where I'm holding back? Because on our own, we're kind of blind to it. But the Holy Spirit, while part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world, the lost of sin and righteousness and judgment, he also convicts the believer of sin and righteousness and judgment and helps us to see sin so we might uproot sin. We also walk in fellowship with one another so that we can lean on one another, help people see our blind spots. But you ask God to identify them. You praise God for the fact that he's forgiven you for that sin. And you ask him to strengthen and empower you so you might give him all of it, because you know what? If he wants it, he'll take it. He's gracious and loving and merciful and saying, give me all so you might have fullness of joy. Okay? Second, don't cheapen grace. How do you cheapen grace? Well, even as Christians, we fall into this trap. Have you ever noticed, if you're going through your week and you get 99 compliments, you know, Madeline, you're such a wonderful person. Madeline, you say your mom comes home. Madeline, you're doing such a great job with work. You're doing such a great job with school. You're such a phenomenal daughter. I'm so proud of you. 99 compliments, right? And then she gives you this one critique. Your room's a mess, right? Do you ever notice how much that one critique breaks us down, even though we have the 99 compliments? Do you know why that one critique breaks us down? Because we cheapen grace. We think we're pretty special, and we want to prove to other people how special we are. Look at me. I'm smart. I'm studious. I'm impressive. I'm kind. I do all this good stuff, and we need to hear that affirmation from people because it builds us up on our little sinful pedestal. But as soon as someone pokes, then we start getting really angry. Well, here's how it cheapens grace. Listen. It always comes back to the you are special plate. You got to ask yourself why you are special. It's not because of anything you do, but it's because of what Christ did. Grace. You see that? You, you, someone could come and they can insult you in dishonesty. Well, that's okay. It's not true. They could even say, listen, you're a really selfish, prideful person. It may be true. But you know what it allows you to do? Die a little bit more to self and rejoice in Christ more fully. So we can't compartmentalize God and we can't cheapen grace. I'm going to get real specific. What does it look like? How do we do it? As you read the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, you'll run across various names of God. Because in the Bible, names mean something. Do you know, Jesus was named Jesus. Do you know why he was named Jesus? 
Mary and Joseph did not get the little baby book out. Joseph, what do you think of the name Ralph? Oh, Mary, I don't like Ralph. I have an Uncle Ralph, and he was a real, just not nice guy. Let's pick a different name. Oh, what do you think about Jesus? Do you like Jesus? I love that name, Mary. Let's go with Jesus. Is that how they came up with Jesus? How did they come up with Jesus? It means God saves. Well, hey, that's a pretty impressive name. How did they? Well, because the angel told her what you're going to name. Names in most cultures mean something. It's unique in our culture that we kind of just pick a name because it sounds good. I wanted to name my eldest Dupree Justice. Now, that's a cool name. I don't know what it means. Fortunately, I had a, a wife who corrected us. Well, God doesn't reveal his name just to make it sound good. He tells us his name to tell us what he is like. Now watch this. I have some names here. Write them down and think about this. And if you have a kid's bulletin, you don't have to write them down. Elohim. You know what that means? Strong creator. How do you take the Lord's name in vain? Well, he reveals his name. Elohim. I am strong creator. You see him as something less than strong creator? You're taking his name in vain. Jehovah, or Yahweh, I am, self-existent, unchanging. God's word is true. God never changes. But if we start to think, well, God used to be nice to me, but, but now he doesn't love, well, now wait a minute. God says, my name is Jehovah. My name is Yahweh. We take his name in vain if we think he's changing. How about this one? El Shaddai. God Almighty. So when you go out to work, and the people at work are beating down on you, and you're afraid they're going to take your job away, and you're afraid you're going to starve to death, well, you're taking God's name in vain, because God says, my name, El Shaddai. That means they don't control you, I do. Do you see this? El Elyon, God Most High. We've been through two previous commandments. Do you ever worship anything other than God, or put your trust in anything other than God, or find your meaning in anything other than God? Well, you've just taken his name, El Elyon, in vain. Elkanah, jealous God. We looked at that last week, didn't we? How about Jehovah El Emet, the Lord God of truth? Well, see, I think that I should. God says, no, here's my will. How often do we fail to trust God and trust ourselves? Or how about we look at Adonai, Lord, we just spoke of that one. El Roy, the God who sees. You ever do something? Listen, if you have you ever been around kids, you sometimes walk into a room and you get this look. What are you doing? Nothing. Is that a lollipop behind your back? Mm-hmm. You, know, you ever have that with like little kids? Well, big little kids. You ever do that? You ever feel like if, if you got a knock on the door and it was Jesus? Ooh. What you doing? Nothing. What's his name here? Elroy? God who sees? You ever act like God's not looking? You ever act like God's not listening? Of course we all do. And when we do, we take his name in vain. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You ever freak out a little bit? Jehovah Maganeni, the Lord our defense. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. What's the point of me sharing all these names? God has revealed himself to us by his name. And in each area he tells us his name, he's revealing the more, more fully who he is. He is a strong creator. He is unchanging. He is God Almighty. He is God Most High. He is a jealous God. He is the Lord God of truth. 
He's a God who sees, a God who will provide. He is our defense. He is our shepherd. And our sinful fallen nature as believers, I'm speaking to you now, causes us to not walk in the fullness of that truth. And when we walk outside of the fullness of truth, we break the third commandment and we dishonor God and we rob ourselves of joy. God doesn't say to us, yeah, good luck. When you die, we'll talk again. No. He says, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd, I will guide you. I I will lead you in paths of righteousness. I will provide for you. I will comfort you. Holy Spirit tells us, I will give you all the words you need at the right time. Our job is to die to self and live for God so that he might be glorified and we might have joy. So look at this commandment one more time. Verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we're guiltless in Christ, aren't we? Jesus became sin so that we might be forgiven. We broke this commandment, we break this commandment, and by our works, we can't be right with God. Grace keeps growing and growing and growing. We're guiltless, and because we are guiltless in Christ, because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because we have the ability by the Holy Spirit to understand the Word of God, we must hear the truth and walk in fullness of the truth as we allow God to be magnified before us and ourselves to shrink. Do you see that? Why would we want to take the Lord's name in vain? We represent God to a lost world. We represent God to one another by encouragement. But when people look at us, do they see? Do they see the fact that God is El Shaddai? God Almighty? Or do they see God in a box and we're a lot like them? Do you see that? I would walk into a restaurant. I would say, oh, my dad is Chuck. Chuck Tripp. Make way, I'm coming in. I just dropped a name. Well, see, I get to go out into the world, and I get to say, well, my dad? My dad is El Shaddai. When I knock on the door that God tells me to knock on, when I go to do what God tells me to do, I drop the name of my father, El Shaddai, and nothing can prevail against that name. But... I and you, we must never use his name in vain because we bring dishonor to him and we rob ourselves of joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the comfort and encouragement that comes from it. I thank you for the fact that through Christ we are guiltless, that Christ took our guilt upon himself that he took the wrath that we deserved and he placed his righteousness upon us so that we might call you Father, so that we might stand not before the wrath of El Shaddai, but in the love of El Shaddai, in the care and the comfort of being in a right relationship with El Roy. Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, guide us, encourage us, We pray your forgiveness for the many times that we have broken this third commandment. And we pray, Lord, that you might mature us, 
that we might see the reality of who you are more fully and understand this commandment is not given to your children to earn your favor, but so that we might walk more intimately with you. Lord, I pray that you would work powerfully in us, that when people look at us, they might know you by your name. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are identified with you. Father, that we can call you Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, that you dwell in us. Lord, we thank you, and we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.